What a day. What a day. That means more to some than it does others, but it means something to all of us who know the Lord. And uh, what a day. It's coming. We're closer than we've ever been before. It is coming. Little girl was uh, going home from school and uh, going to eat lunch at home. And she would go across the town square, and there was a big clock there. And that clock would always chime. And it was about noon. And she's going across, heading home, looking forward to it. And the clock strikes, and she counts with it. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. And then it struck one more. Really confused her. Thirteen o'clock? She gets home and she goes, Mom, it's later than it's ever been before. <laughs> and I want to tell you today, April 3rd, 2022, it's later than it's ever been before. And we are nearer the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ than we have ever been before. Praise His holy name. He is coming again. Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes. Father, as we bow before you in prayer, I pray, Lord, that right now every heart is, first of all, giving you the praise and the glory that you deserve. We praise you that we're alive. We praise you that we're alive in this time. And we praise you for the changes we see in nature because you control all of that and you created all of that. And we give you glory for it. We praise you, Father, for friends, people that we can fellowship with because we didn't save them, you did. And you put us in this wonderful family of God and in this local church. We thank you for that. We thank you and praise you, Father, for the friendships and relationships that we can have, husbands and wives, parents and children and friends because you have made us to be relational. And I thank you, Father, that you've allowed us the greatest relationship of all to know Christ as our Lord and Savior, to know God the Father as our Father, and to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. What a, what a wonderful thing you have done for us. We give you praise. And then, Lord, we ought to give you thanks. To give you thanks for our salvation, thanks for your victory, thanks for paying our sin debt on the cross, Thank you that you are alive today. Thank you that you hear us when we pray. Thank you that you have prepared a place for us in heaven. Thank you, Lord, for all of the things we enjoy in this life, the food that we eat, the air that we breathe, all of the wonderful things we enjoy in our homes and in our automobiles, in our jobs. Thank you for this nation that we live in. And we pray, Father, that we would be a thankful people. We pray also, Lord, out of a burden. All of us know people who are lost, and we pray for their salvation. We pray for people who are suffering, going through storms and trials now. And we ask you, Lord, to speak that word that would calm the storm and see them through that, that men may marvel at who you are. And Father, we also come here today with our own personal needs. And I pray every person that is watching and every person that is present would hear from you through your word this morning. Feed and nourish us. Give us direction and guidance. Give us correction. And may it all be to the praise of the glory of your grace. 
heal those who are sick, bless those who are suffering, and we pray all of this would be done, and we pray that it would be done in your way because of your power, by your grace. To God be the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Turn to Exodus. Turn to the 34th chapter once again. We're making our way through this chapter now. And we're going to entitle the message this morning, Mine Eyes Have Seen the Glory. And of course, I know whatever you think about that, you're thinking of the battle hymn of the Republic. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. The only thing is we really haven't seen the coming of the Lord, not us personally anyway. And, um, but we have seen the glory of God. In John chapter 1, it talks about Jesus, and it says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Then you read through all of that about how He created everything and who He is, and you get down to, I believe, the 14th verse, and the Word became flesh, dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. I don't know that the glory of God has ever been seen in anyone anymore than when they are born again. How many of you are born again believers? Say amen. amen. The glory of God on that day. So strong and so powerful. And you saw him in his glory. And others saw the glory of God in you. So we have beheld his glory. Now we remember as we think about what we've been uh, seeing here. Moses, after the Israelites made the golden calf, Moses has gone back up on Sinai. He's going to stay there for 40 days and 40 nights without eating, I might add. And uh, he is now coming down from the mountain. And he is coming down from the mountain after having seen the glory of God. Remember, he was hidden that old hymn, He Hideth My Soul in the Cleft of the Rock, taken from this chapter, where he hides him in the cleft of the rock and covers him there, and then God moves his hand just at the last second so that Moses just gets a glimpse of the back part of the glory of God. Well, it changes Moses, and we're going to see a little bit about that change today that Moses didn't know about. So as we read this, think about these things. Think about what Moses did not know. You're privileged to know it. The people that were there saw it, but it's going to make a point in this, these verses that Moses had no clue and no idea. And I want you to think about and notice the fear of the people. Uh, that wasn't anything because of what Moses wanted. He was not setting this up to say, now they'll fear me. This has nothing to do with that. It wasn't because of anything that he did. It was just simply being in the presence of God that changed Moses and changed everything, just like it'll change you as well. And being in the presence of God, by the way, doesn't mean attending church. It means your personal worship and walk with God. Understand this, that the veil Moses wore was to accommodate the fear of the people. He didn't want to overwhelm them. He didn't want to push them away. The reality of what had happened to him didn't change, but the veil was an accommodation to them. And then notice that the veil was off when Moses 
speaks with the Lord because you can't hide behind anything or hide anything from the Lord. Every time you pray, every time you read the Word, every time you're having your quiet time, it's time for the veil to come off to be honest, real, and authentic in whatever you are before God. So with those things in mind, let's read what the Scripture says in Exodus 34, verse 29. Now it was so, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand when he came down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he walked with him or talked with him. So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, Behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid, afraid to come near him. Then Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the children of Israel came near, and he gave them as commandments all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out, and he would come out and speak to the children of Israel whatever he had been commanded. And whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone. Then Moses would put on the veil on his, the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with him. Father, we pray that you would put your blessing on your word today and put your blessing upon us that our minds might be renewed to comprehend what you say that we would have hearts, that we'd be willing to obey whatever the Spirit says to His people this morning, and that in all things you would be glorified and we would be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Mine eyes have seen the glory. When I think about uh, the face of Moses shining out like it did, we uh, can think about people that we have seen and we talk about them, their face was shining. It was just glowing, we might say. Well, that's a natural occurrence in life. Everybody experiences those kind of things. We've all seen it. But this was a supernatural thing and it was something that was very unusual. They weren't just saying, oh, Moses has had revival. Oh, Moses is happy. Oh, Moses is feeling good. He must have slept well last night. It's not that at all. This is a supernatural thing. It reminds me of uh, what the Bible says about the uh, deacon Stephen in the book of Acts. Just before he was martyred, uh, you remember after he was made a deacon in Acts chapter 6, and then he is uh, stirring things up, preaching Jesus and witnessing of Jesus, gives a whole history of Israel off the top of his head, which is quite impressive but uh, just before that, it says that they looked and they said his face was like an angel's face. Well, we, won't, we don't know everything about angels, but we do know they are light. And we know that, uh, for example, you've heard of seraphim. 
The word seraph is the Hebrew, Hebrew word for burning or fire. The name literally means burning ones. These angels are bright and glowing and shining forth. And that's the way Stephen looked as the glory of God came upon him when he was on his way to be stoned, on his way to die. It would be nice to die with the glory of God all over you. Death is an ugly thing. Death is an enemy that's going to be destroyed. But in this case, Stephen was able to die with a prayer of forgiveness and a prayer of faith. He said, forgive them, remember, they don't know what they're doing. And uh, that into your hands I commit my spirit, kind of like Jesus did, that he was seeing the Lord and seeing Jesus ready to receive him. Remember that? That just made them uh, all the more upset, mad at him. We also find something happening when Peter, James, and John went with Jesus to the Mount of Transfiguration. And when the glory of Jesus was unveiled and it came out, uh, they were amazed at what they saw. And Moses and Elijah were there with him. Those are accounts in the Bible where we see kind of, sort of, something similar to uh, what happened to Moses. It had to do with the glory and the presence of God. The glory and the presence of God. I'm reminded that in 1 John it says about God, in him is light and there is no darkness at all. And so everything that he is around, everything that he touches, he affects it. It doesn't affect him, he affects it. And Moses was affected by the presence and the power and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we kind of uh, work our way through this particular text, I want you to think about the first thing that struck me was the fact that Moses... This would be point number one, had absolutely no idea what was happening to him. The Bible tells us very clearly that when he came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of testimony that were in his hand, what did it say? Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. Now, why would that be so striking? Because nearly everybody that I know that has had any kind of experience with God that is supernatural and they see the glory of God, they know about it. And they talk about it. And they make sure that you know about it. Sometimes it turns into kind of a, look what I've experienced that you have not experienced. Look what God did for me. Oh, I'm so favored. And look at what he didn't do for you. Sometimes... Uh, I think when we share testimonies with people, that sometimes they can be extremely encouraging and God-glorifying, which they should be. Sometimes, I think this is more on the hearer than it is anybody else, sometimes you can hear a testimony and you go, well, why didn't God answer my prayers like that? Why hadn't that ever happened to me? Why don't I have that kind of experience? Well, one of the things we find here that Moses wasn't coming down from the mountain saying, look at my face, I've been with God, and you haven't. Moses wasn't coming down from the mountain bragging about anything, calling attention to himself. He wasn't doing that at all. He had the two tablets that he had carved out before he went back up the second time, and they had the Ten Commandments on them, which were written by God, 
And that's really what he had on his mind, is he had a word from God to share with the people of God. But oh, when they saw him, there was something that was different about Moses. And why would that be the case? And it would be this, because there is always something different about people who spend time with God. Their outlook is different. Their attitude is different. Everything changes when you get in the presence of God. And it's not a matter of how long you're in the presence of God. Some people brag about how many hours they spend praying every morning or how many chapters they read out of the Bible and that type of thing. You've been around them and you've heard them. And it doesn't necessarily encourage you. You might want to compete with them or outdo them, but it doesn't really encourage you in your walk with God. But uh, some of you might have been through a program years ago called Master Life. Avery Willis, he worked for the Southern Baptist Convention, and he was at a conference one time, and uh, he was promoting discipleship, spiritual disciplines. And he asked people, how long did you spend with the Lord this morning? And these different preachers were there, and they were talking about the time they spent with the Lord, and some of them hours with the Lord. And he would go, "Mm mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then when they all got through, he said, spend five seconds with the God of the universe and you cannot help but be changed. Because it's not a matter of time. It is a matter of the power of the one that you were with. You don't have to go out and grab a hold of an electric fence and then wait and go, wow, this thing gets more powerful the longer I hold on to it. No, it doesn't. It's the same current all the way through. You may be feeling it differently, but it's the same. And in the same way, if we can encounter God, it's not anything that we have done. It's not anything that we brag about. It's not anything that draws attention solely to us. In fact, I've noticed that people that get in contact with God and really have revival in the glory of God... They don't talk about it a whole lot. They're not even aware of how different they are. In fact, people that come in contact with God, they tend to be like Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord. Man, can you imagine what you would have written if you had seen the Lord like he did? Can you imagine there'd be a book coming out or a movie coming out somewhere? You might write a song about it and you might be asked to speak at conferences and give your testimony at different conventions and churches and on television. I mean, man, you would be something. You saw the Lord. (laughs) You know what Isaiah saw when he saw the Lord? His wretchedness. His sinfulness. How far short he fell from the glory of God. Isaiah saw his inadequacies. He saw his generation being unclean. He said, I'm a man of unclean lips. I come from a generation of people with unclean lips. He knew he needed redemption. He knew he needed to be cleansed. I got a feeling that the people that see the glory of God the most are not the people that talk about all of their miracles and special stories. They're the people that talk about their sin. And they're humble before God. And they're unaware of the impact that they make. They're unaware of the influence that they have. They're unaware of how God is using them because they don't focus upon themselves. 
Their focus is upon God. Their focus is upon other people. And they want other people to know the God that they know. They can't help but witness. They can't help but pray. They can't help but be hungry for the word of God. They can't help but give a word of encouragement. They can't help but give godly advice and godly counsel. Why? Because they've seen the glory, the glory of the Lord. And like Moses, they have no idea of what kind of an impact that they have. So next time you watch TV, and next time you listen to somebody preach, note how much they talk about themselves. Note how many stories they have to tell that are kind of a, I'm better than you, I walk on a higher plane than you do. And you might ought to change the channel. You might ought to get rid of that tape or CD or whatever it might be. And you might look around and you might find some people that, boy, they don't talk about themselves much, but man, do they ever glorify and magnify Jesus through his word. And think about this story of Moses coming down the mountain with his face aglow with the glory of God, and he didn't even know it. Let that sink in. Didn't even know it. Number two. It struck me, reading through this, that the people that saw it, what happened to them? Well, according to the scripture, something quite unexpected happens in here. That it says that those who were closest to Moses, let's put it like that, his brother, Aaron, right? If anybody should have been excited about this, it was Aaron, If anybody should have been running up to Moses saying, What happened to you? How did this happen? How can I get it on this? You would think it would be Aaron, wouldn't you? But the Bible says that when he came down from the mountain, that even those closest to him misunderstood. How do we know they misunderstood? Because it says they were, what? Afraid. They were afraid to come to him. They didn't know or understand that his time with God meant that he had a word from God. They should have been running to him. But they were afraid and they ran away. They misunderstood. Can I just say to you, if you ever encounter God in the way that God wants you to encounter him, you're going to be misunderstood. The lost world is not going to understand you at all. And we kind of expect that. And that's why in modern 21st century Christianity, I don't understand why so much is made to say, let's make our services and let's make our preaching and let's make everything that we do something that the world will like and want to be involved in. No, you get with God. Let your face shine with the glory of God. Let your light shine out of you with the glory of God. You're going to scare some people. There are going to be some people who are not going to understand what you're all about. They're not going to understand uh, what you're going through because in their mind, what needs to happen is bring God down to our level where he's nothing more than what we are and then everything will be okay. We'll understand him. We'll embrace him. Well, that didn't work so well in John chapter 1, did it? He came unto his own and his own received him what? Not. Isn't that amazing? 
And yet that's kind of what we're trying to do today. Let's make Jesus approachable. Let's make the word of God more approachable. And, and we don't want to put up barriers. But at the same time, folks, the world does not understand God. And because you belong to God, they don't understand you. Why do you give your money to a church like this? Why do you give your time to a church like this? Why do you believe in the cause that we stand for? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? And because we filled our church with so many lost church members over the years, people are abandoning the church in these days. America is no longer a theistic, Christianized nation. We're a secular nation now. We've got to face that fact. And people say, ah, what's the point? We used to talk about people that would go to church because it would help them in their business contacts in town. Well, those days are long gone and they're over. We used to have a day when maybe men didn't go to church, but they kind of wanted their wives to go. It made her more submissive and kinder and nicer, so it was self-serving. They wanted her to go to church. Keep her in line, preacher, they might be thinking. They wanted their kids to go to church because the Bible says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So keep them in line, preacher and Sunday school teacher. But they didn't really need it themselves. But it's a good thing to have and a good thing to be there. When I was in Tuttle, we were talking about relocating the church, and there was a guy there putting in a, an upscale addition who was going to give us a great price per acre on land because he thought it would be a good thing for his addition and his business to have a church there. That's the way people used to think even 20 years ago. They don't think like that anymore. They're like the guy that Sammy and I talked to in Albany, New York, and asked him, what could a church add to this neighborhood and this community here? And uh, he looked up and he goes, nothing. And that's pretty much the way people kind of feel now. They don't understand. And they're not sure they want what you've got. The stuff that preachers have told us for years, the world is hungry and they are waiting out there. So I'd go out and I'd try to witness and I found out they weren't hungry and they weren't waiting because the Bible says no one seeks after God. We're supposed to tell them anyway, but no one seeks after God. That's a work of the Spirit of God, not the condition of man. And so when you find Moses coming down from the mountain, you don't find a bunch of people coming up around him saying, Moses, wow! This is incredible. Tell us how we can make our face shiny too. Nothing like that. Even Aaron. You know, Jesus said, a man's enemies will be those of his own household. Now, I'm not going to go so far as to say that Aaron was an enemy of Moses, but even Aaron, who should have been on Moses' side on all of this, misunderstood didn't he folks in your walk with God if it matters to you and it should and if you want to know him and you want to be close to him you're going to be misunderstood self-righteous hypocrite holier than thou all of those kind of things they're going to be thrown your way people may find you a little bit unapproachable you're not the same person that you used to be. 
And indeed, you're not the same person you used to be. And it's not that we're putting up barriers. It's that as God makes us different, as he separates us, as he calls us out, the world is just not going to get it. And so even his own brother, his own brother was afraid to come near him. Thirdly, what was it that was so frightening? Was it his shiny face? Partly. But there was something else the scripture calls our attention to. He was carrying the tablets with the Ten Commandments. Let me tell you something. If you want to shake up the world and shake up carnal believers, you stand with the Word of God, the law of God in your hands, and the glory of God on your face, because you not only proclaim the Word, you not only live the Word, but you are walking with the author of the word, and I will tell you the glory of God being manifest in your life and the word of God being proclaimed by you will shake up this wicked, ungodly culture. You're not going to have to be mean. You're not, have to, you're not going to have to go out there looking for sinners that you can corner. You're not going to have to do any of that. They're not going to understand you. And in fact, the way you are, when you talk about a walk with a personal God and live it, when you are the kind of person that not only says the Bible is good, you actually read it and even go a step further to obey it and they watch your life change in conformity to God's word, you're going to scare people to death. They're going to think you're crazy. They're going to call you a fanatic. They're going to look at you in ways that you never thought. Well, well, what's the deal? Why, why won't they talk to me? Why aren't they coming to me? Moses would say, it's because you represent God. It's because you represent morality and standards and godliness and holiness. And it's because your life shows that it's not just because you're a perfect religious person or a goody two-shoes. After all, on those commandments of those tablets Moses had, it said, thou shall not kill what had Moses done when he was in Egypt before he was a deliverer. Moses murdered that Egyptian. What's the point on all of that? God puts his glory in and on the people who break his law but repent and come to God for grace and for the sacrifice that pays for their sins through the Lord Jesus Christ. If they could only understand, we're not frightening. We are them in a lot of ways. We too shunned God. We too were enemies of the cross. We too have broken the law of God as displayed in the Ten Commandments. The difference is Christ came to earth to keep that law we couldn't keep, to die on the cross and have God's wrath that it says in 2 Thessalonians is reserved for sinners 
And God poured his wrath out on his sinless son for us. Well, if you think about that for a while, that'll bring up a big wow in your soul. Why would God do that? And why would Jesus go through it? And it's all because of his great love and his great grace toward us. And so we don't go out and walk around in the world with our nose in the air. Thank God that I'm not as these people are. No, that's what lost Pharisees do. We go out into the world Confident, yes, but humble at the same time. With the presence of God shining through us, living by the word of God, and it brings conviction on people. You see, if they don't see a difference in your life, all they conclude is, oh, he's just like I am, he just goes to church. That doesn't save anybody. But when they see a difference in your life, then they are under conviction about it. And others need to see Jesus and his glory in and through us. So what's frightening? They have the presence that we have the, or Moses had the presence of God and the law of God with him. And the people of Israel are going, whoa, we don't have any one of those. And it frightened them. And fourthly, Whenever you meet God in this way, it will really make a difference. And what is it that made the difference? And here it is, kind of in a nutshell. Moses asked for the glory of God and ran toward it. Remember that? Aaron and the people saw the glory of God and ran from it. You'll find as you walk with God and as you grow in grace and as the glory of God becomes more real to you, you're going to run toward it because you're hungry for it. Hunger is an appetite. One of the things that's hard to handle with our hunger is the more you eat, the more you want and the more you can contain. And some of you are some pretty good-sized containers lately. Isn't that right? I remember being a kid at Thanksgiving, and the old people would eat, and they go, Oh, I couldn't touch another thing for two weeks. Come on, Uncle. He was the first one at the stove nibbling on more, wasn't he? Why? Because appetites increase, and the capacity increases. You take somebody who is starving to death and you want to feed them. Don't put a whole Thanksgiving meal in front of them. They couldn't contain it. you got to start off slow. And I would say to you, in your walk with God, start reading your Bible and just read it slowly at first. Pray every day and start slowly at first. And if your heart is really wanting the glory of God... You'll find yourself being able to take in more and understanding more of the Word and hungering more for the Word and for prayer and for a walk with God. But some of you are not really, not really after the glory of God. In fact, you run from it. You don't want to be weird. You don't want to be different. You don't really want the power of God on your life because it'll cost you in this world. And that's the difference. 
Moses is one way. Aaron and the others are the other way. Now, does that mean that they were all rejected? No, God was gracious to them as well and to Aaron and others. But what a difference had he joined arms with Moses instead of being afraid of him. But I found another thing that I want to warn you about because some of you have tasted of the glory of God. You've been through genuine revival, genuine conversion. You have seen the power and the glory of God. Man, you've got the stories if we could ask you for a testimony. But all of them are 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 40 years ago. There's a danger. Did you know that Moses even faced this danger I'm going to talk to you about? If you will turn in your Bibles, let's go to the New Testament and see something that is just a little bit shocking when you consider what all it means. And it tells us something. It talks about veils and how the world's heart is kind of like they're wearing a veil and they can't see the glory of God. And it reminds us that with all of the things we've seen in the Old Testament, they give us a glimpse of Christ, but it's like the people were kind of veiled and they couldn't see everything. We understand that. But there's something else about Moses. Something else about Moses. Well, it says, for example, in Romans chapter 1, or pardon me, Romans chapter 5, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we, that's you and me, have been justified by faith, we have peace with God and through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope, you ready for this, of the glory of God. You have seen the glory of God in ways that they didn't see it. But you know, you know redemption, you know Christ, you know salvation, you know grace through faith. And you have not been veiled, God unveiled you. So you say, so what's the danger? 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13. 2 Corinthians 3, 13. Now pay attention and read it along with me in your Bible. We are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face. Why'd you do that, Moses? We think we already know. Read it carefully. So that the Israelites could not stare at the end of what was fading away. That's the way the Phillips version puts it. Was Mr. Phillips right? Well, the Amplified Bible says it like this. And we are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so that the Israelites would not gaze at the end of the glory which was fading away. You know what Paul gives us insight in? Moses was a lot like Jesus and pictured Jesus in so many ways. But he was also a picture of us and a lot like us. 
Moses didn't act exactly finish well, did he? He didn't even get to go into the promised land. He had an anger problem. And that led to the murder of the Egyptian, that anger out of control, which kind of leads me to believe that Moses might have been what Jesus was thinking of when he says, if you have anger in your heart toward another believer, that's the same as murder, because that was Moses' problem. Kill the anger, Moses didn't kill an Egyptian, right? Moses didn't finish well. And Paul tells us here that Moses at first wore the veil so that the people wouldn't be afraid and it would cover up the brightness. Until that day he was, well, I started to say shaving, but he didn't shave, did he? He looked in the mirror and he noticed something. His face wasn't as bright as it was the day before. And maybe over the next week he noticed, man, it's significantly less bright I better put on my veil. Why? Because I don't want to blind and frighten all the people? No. Paul said he put on the veil because he was afraid to let the people see that the brightness was fading. Some of you came to church this morning. You didn't worship. You're just putting on a veil. You don't want people to think badly of you. You don't want anybody to know that you are not walking with God. So you put on the veil of church attendance. Some of you are walking around with the veil of morality. You don't really walk with God. You don't really love God. You're not passionate about God like you used to be. But you don't want anyone else to know that. And when they say, man, God is good, and he answers prayer, and you hadn't had an answered prayer in so long, you wouldn't even know it if it ever happened. But you put on the veil of yes Amen. God is good all the time. And all the time God is good. And inside your soul is so dry. And you are such a fake. And like Moses, you put on the veil. Not because of the glory of God, but you're scared to death somebody might see the truth about you. That's a danger. Because when you taste and you see that the Lord is good, that's a wonderful thing. Until it comes to the place to where you just are faking it. You talk the same. You act the same. You say amen at the same things. You smile when you're supposed to. You do all of that kind of stuff. But inside in your heart, you're dry parched, you're weak, you're still saved, you're still saved, but you're too weak to pick up the sword, you're too weak to wear the armor, that helmet is just way too much, you don't have on the shoes so that you can march, you've taken them off and you're sitting by a creek cooling your feet in the water and the enemy just comes up time after time, after time, after time, and you don't seem to be able to do about it, a thing about it because your Christian life is nothing more than putting on a veil so that nobody sees the real you. And I conclude with this. If you're not saved, will you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? 
as your full payment for your sin today. Repent of your sins and trust in Him completely and surrender to Him as Lord and He'll save you. And if you are saved, get before God and for heaven's sake, take off the veil like Moses did and be bare and honest and open and repentant toward your God. Because you may fool me and you may fool us, but you are not fooling the God who wants to renew your life. Heavenly Father, speak to us today at the point of our need and walk with you that your glory might shine through us and that we might quit being fakes. And thank you, Lord, that you love fakes, but you don't let us stay that way. Change us to be authentic and real and to shine for your glory and to live your world, your word in a lost and dying world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.